Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Cesar, buenas. Buenas días. Noches. Eh, buenas algo. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know they say um, in, in Mexico they say buenas just buenas like yeah. they do in Peru. Yeah, yeah. And then in, when I was in where was I at? Was it Guatemala? They go bueno instead of bueno bueno, and I'm like, is that like hello? Is that buenas? And they're just like bueno. I'm like, all right, that's that's a I, thing. I I didn't know that one. That's interesting. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Guatemala. The other weird thing they say is, you know, when you say goodbye, there's like adios and there's yeah. chao and there's nos vemos. But they would say platicamos, which is what, like, we'll talk or okay. something? Is that what that is? I, yeah, like I, we will talk eventually. Yeah. Instead Without, of saying chao or adios, they'll say platicamos. I'm like, okay, platicamos. <laughs> Well, in my uh, on my dad's side, on the northern side of Mexico, they sometimes they say uh, "estamos pendientes," which means like, really, like we're yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, now that I think about it, uh, I have I have said it a few times. We need guess, each. Is that like we need each other? We depend no, on each pendientes other? is like like um, on standby. I guess. Um, oh, it's not oh, really oh. pending. So it, it's okay. like okay, we're gonna be on a standby for, for each whatever other. happens, or I don't know. That's a weird, huh. weird one. Curious, uh, yeah. And sometimes <laughs> they shut it. They they definitely cut it to just pendientes, which is standby. So platicamos. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Good. All right. So we're talking about uh, again Spanish, uh, but that's not the topic <laughs> of today. <laughs> You know, actually, topic... it would be fun. It, it would be fun. Sorry, so sorry. It would be fun to do a podcast and just talk about um, the tech industry in Latin America. There, there's interesting. You know, every every cult, cultures are optimized for different things, and even in subcultures like tech in certain countries and certain areas, they're optimized for different things. I think that'd be a fun thing just to talk about on what's it like tech in Mexico versus tech in Peru versus tech here. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be a fun, fun thing just to. It would be chat good about. to have samples of people. I have worked with people from uh, Hereway, of course, Mexico, uh, Cuba. Not much more than that, I guess. Brazil. Yeah. Um, which is yet another interesting, just because no Spanish there, for the most part. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there are definitely. Some you can understand, like they're more hardworking um, than others, and some of the terminology changes. Um, and of course, it's tech, right? So the usage of the words right. in English, it's always fun because everybody yeah, has yeah. its own. PHP, for loop. It's like, wait, wait, are we speaking English or what? <laughs> yeah. I think one of the first times that I had to uh, give training in Spanish. 
I realized I was speaking half English. And this is after I moved here. Before, <laughs> I wouldn't even notice, right? Uh, yeah. But yes, it's... Uh, and then how do you pronounce it? And then there are some things when I talk to uh, my brother, for example, right? Um, so we're talking about Git, and I said Git branch. And he says Rama, <laughs> which is the literal meaning of uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. free branch. But and it was like... Uh, okay, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. It is a yeah. weird converging on that. Yeah. Hmm. But I just even mean on perspective. Um, like when I was in Peru, it's been a while ago, though, but like in Peru, the tech scene was all about like services, really, is what it was. So it was like everybody on every corner, there was a a cafe where you could learn coding and where you could learn Photoshop at like literally every corner had two or three of those studios and you just, everybody was going to them. So as a result, you were always talking to someone that was like, and this is a while ago now, 10 years ago. Plus it's like, Oh yeah, I'm learning Dreamweaver. Oh yeah. I'm learning PHP or I'm learning cold fusion. And then you find out it's like next door to their house is a cafe that teaches that. And so that's what they would do every day. So it's just an interesting impact. Um, I don't know. That'd be a fun thing just to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I think it was more than ten years now. Dreamweaver was probably like two thousand eight. When was uh, when yeah. you were in Peru? Uh, yeah, yeah, two thousand eight. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're right. So it's coming up to fifteen, my friend. <laughs> oh man, I feel old. Doggone it. Uh, if you are the only one that feels like that. I feel young. <laughs> <laughs> because 15 years ago i wasn't in peru with you i was somewhere else um yeah. but i don't want to think about it because man i feel like you um cool <laughs> oh, all I right feel like me great all <laughs> right let's get back to the topic what are we doing here the topic today is uh some of uh python based toolings are i don't know if if, if it's even python you're going to tell us about it it's called hex um and the web page is hex.tech that is H-E-X dot T-E-C-H. Uh, talk about one of those things that it is hard for me to pronounce. Uh, yeah. But here we are. So um, I saw the web page, uh, but I want you to explain it to me and other people around it. What is this tool for? Like why? Uh, what got you into it? How do you find it? Things like that. So let's, let's start mm -hmm. with the what it is, right? Uh, what is heck.tech? Yeah. So first of all, on the domain name, I really do hate the domain name. I, I don't even like .tech domain name, names in general for stuff, but it does. Hex.tech is someone didn't, I don't know, like didn't do their internationalization research on that because it's hard to say, hard to read, hard to pronounce. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. So, well, go ahead. And if you if you tell me hex, I automatically think about like hexadecimal, I guess, or like I I think it's some math related stuff, which might be the mm. case, right? Mm, but fair it enough. doesn't strike to me as um, like I saw it, right? There there are some notebooks, right? And I immediately thought about Jupyter notebooks, but I don't see right. anything on the domain saying that it is a notebook, and maybe I don't know. It's weird. I'm with you. Those custom domain names, uh, .email, .tech, .pizza, .whatever. I think they yeah. tend to confuse a lot of people um, because 95% of the population or 
uh, they just know com and maybe com dot something, and that's about it, right? So, uh, cool. All right. So, what it is? So, the best they might not want me to, to explain it this way, but the best best way I can explain it is it's simplified Jupyter notebooks. Um, it, probably not doing it justice to call it Jupyter notebooks, actually, but that's that's a great way of saying Jupyter notebooks, but very cool, very powerful, very polished. Um, that's probably the best way to describe it. And so it's great for, we, we could talk about what it is, but it, you know, it's great for data analytics. You can do some Python in it, some data science in it. Um, you, you know, one of the interesting things, so there's a bunch of these that have popped up. This is one of them. Deep note is another one. Okay. And um, I've used both of those actually. And there's a third one I've used in the last year and I can't remember what the name of it is. And then of course I've used Google collab, which is a Jupiter, a hosted Jupiter notebook. But one of the things with Jupiter notebooks is um, they're cool. They're very powerful, but they're hard to run. I think they're hard to run in, in like a group company environment. They're hard to maintain the infrastructure. It just sometimes Google Jupiter notebook architecture or structure or especially like Jupyter notebook, AWS architecture. And you can imagine what that looks like. <laughs> yep. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like really just to run this notebook, I need all this stuff. Now, I mean, you can spin up a notebook like in VS code or Google collab and it's easy, but when you're trying to run it against hardware, it's a pain in the butt. Um, I don't know. If I've been exposed. Yeah. That, I would agree with that. So to me, um, I run a notebook a little while ago. Um, I've been doing it for, for my job and trying to, I think I mentioned on the last episode, learn some Python. Mm -hmm. um, so it's weird because there is no, it's a setup that can, that it's not built by developers, right? It is, yeah, it is a setup sure. just built by a data scientist, right? Which totally makes sense. Like we're not data scientists ourselves. But now there's, it's becoming more ubiquitous for people like you and me to use it, right? And mm -hmm. to even learn Python. And that's when we're expecting to have some sort of platform that, that runs it. Um, I remember, I mean, installing Python on macOS, it's its own adventure uh, just because it's built in and uh, hopefully Homebrew solves a lot of those issues. But once you were able to run it, um, then it has its own file navigator, which is interesting to open mm -hmm. the notebook. So you, 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 like the whole experience is like, it's not really an IDE, but in some cases it behaves like an IDE, but then it looks like overpower because you can see files in all your computer. Um, right. and then, uh, if that is locally, then if you think about the company, um, and like how like to share knowledge and to do all of that, you can clearly see that there is a need for that. And as you said, there are like three of them. I think last time we talked about Databricks and Databricks notebooks are there and it's based yeah. out on Python. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have blocks that are, Python, uh, I guess, Python, PySpark, uh, SQL. So you can mix and match. So they have its own variations. But I think this is going to be more and more popular, right? And I sometimes I feel like um, they're a little bit like playgrounds, like Swift playgrounds, right? Like REPL yeah. consoles that you just go and do it. And it mm -hmm. seems like 
there is a future there. So this is worth doing. Um, and platforms like this, I'm sure they're going to come up because it makes sense uh, from their website. Uh, as you said, they probably don't want you to simplify. That's just like uh, well-supported Jupyter uh, Notebooks. That's a, they say that it is a modern platform for data science and analytics that brings together collabor collaborative notebooks, beautiful data apps, and enterprise-grade security. That's what they say. Enterprise-grade security. That's so funny. It's like such a tagline for everything. <laughs> uh, it's like, <laughs> if I had a dollar, Cesar, for every time I've heard that. Uh, and, SOC and 2 platform, Enterprise, right? blah, blah, blah. What? Yeah, Modern platform. platform. Right. What makes a platform a platform and what makes it modern? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. buzzwords, but but yeah, you yeah. get it. It's it's annoying. It's just like you know, like all the developer repos now. It's like batteries included, supercharged batteries included, every single one. It's like, can you can we batteries really? Um, anyway, so, mono repo, I, uh, all of those buzzwords right now. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, back to hex. So one of the cool things that they do is they they take the concept of Jupyter notebooks and the power that you have there with infrastructure behind it you can even pick you know your your different compute and gpu and stuff behind it if you, it, there's different plans for that and you don't have to do any of that it just kind of works magically behind the scenes and google collab does that too but google collab just gives you kind of a raw Jupyter notebook what hex does is goes we're going to take that idea in that context and we're going to make it more like an actual notebook, not just like blocks of mm -hmm. code, I guess. So they really embrace the idea that a notebook tells a better story than a Tableau dashboard. Um, and I, I like how they approach it. A deep notes doing that, that kind of thing too, and some others, but I really like how hex landed on it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I think that's a crucial point. To talk about because on their website you're right they say we're a modern whatever platform for analytics which is an interesting take on it because when you say analytics usually people think you know, like metabase and and some of these others you know you write some sql you or you ingest some data or whatever and then you get dashboards you make a chart you make another chart you make a table you make a graph and you put them together and create a dashboard tableau amplitude whatever name name the tools right so when when you read that you think oh it's analytics but really it's notebooks that you stuff analytics in. and, and one of the nice things that notebooks do um is they help you tell a story they piece together a story um which is much better than an analytic dashboard you open up tableau it doesn't tell you a story i don't care what people say they're boring and you end up having to have meetings around it because you don't understand the numbers. Whereas the notebook, you have the power of creating the queries, building out the data, dropping in charts, but then you can also talk about it. You can drop in images. You can, it's dynamic. So you can pull, you can scrape something, pull it in. You can have um, other research documents, text, that kind of thing. So they, I think they, they make that part of the Jupyter Notebook concept a lot better than just Jupyter Notebook, if that makes sense. It does. Um, uh, it does make sense. A um, couple of things there. So um, most of the time, Tableau, Tableau dashboards or even just 
plain analytics tools, you end up taking screenshots and, and building a PowerPoint presentation, yeah. which in your case, it seems like you can build a dashboard, right? And because it's, uh, or sorry, a notebook. And because you can add a lot more comments and a story and kind of like uh, explain your reasoning, it seems like you don't need to do that. You can just go through it in a presentation or you can just send it beforehand and people should be able to understand it because uh, it's kind of like a mix of everything. That's what I heard uh, uh, from you. And I think it's nice. Um, the other thing, and this is, uh, this is why I'm curious, you mentioned analytics and ingestion. Uh, where is the data? Like, is it running data back to whatever you have at store? Is it ingesting data? Like, how does that piece work? So that's a good question. They've got connectors. So you can uh, connect like direct to BigQuery, for example, which is what I'm doing for for the, one of my projects. So I just mm -hmm. pull in BigQuery. You can also import CSVs and do things like that as well. But they do have connectors for all sorts of stuff. So you can run it on there. It's interesting. They just added a new feature. You can actually write back to your data source if you want to, which is an interesting concept. So rather than just being analytics, it's a proper notebook that you can literally write back to your data store. Um, so it's it's turning out to be a pretty flexible tool. Some of the really interesting things you can do. And even like, so they have these ideas of um, blocks, just like in Jupyter, you know, you've got your blocks of, um, or Notion, if you're familiar with Notion, you have no idea what we're talking about with, with Jupyter. <laughs> Notion has those blocks uh, where you can say, click this and I want a block of this or this. So you can create a SQL block. And then that creates a data frame, which you can access in Python if you want to, or you can access, they have charts where you can just pick it and then from the SQL and say, I want to make a chart out of this or whatever, or a map. Um, but anyway, so it creates a data frame or a variable where you can reference later on in the notebook. So that's really cool. Um, but it's, it's orthogonal. So then you can mess mess around with it on python you can create another thing and then access that through another sql query it's really cool how it's orthogonal that way um how they do okay. that um one of the things that i like from their website was the gallery portion of it because that gives you mm -hmm. and we're gonna put a show, show uh a link to the show notes uh, a link in the show notes to the gallery mm -hmm. and um that gives you an idea of what you can build which is interesting because a lot of the notebooks, they're so generic that they don't want to be prescriptive. And these guys have different examples. So I like that. I think that's a nice touch uh, for somebody uh, like me or like our listeners that might not have heard about it without really kind of like trying to do something out of the box, right? So that gives you uh, right. something. Uh, and along those lines, um, we're, we're technically doing a friction block. I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning. So uh, the next question would be, who is it for? Like, where, wh who's your persona in this case uh, for Hex? So I, it's, it's definitely for analytic people or BI people that like to get their hands dirty and write some code. Um, but it's also for analytic people that don't want to do that. So if they, they write a little bit of SQL, and then they can get anything you want, you know, they want out of it. Um, so it's definitely for that data science stuff. You know, it, they say it's for data scientist stuff. I played around with a couple of things that works, but I don't know how it scales across, you know, some of the data science use cases, like when you want to use Keras or, or TensorFlow or something like that. I, I, 
I doubt maybe it works. I have no idea. I, I haven't really that that wasn't my use case, and I didn't really test that part of the frictions. Um, okay. but it's definitely for more like analytics and business folks that can write SQL and, and generate stuff. If you know Python or R, um, you can use those blocks in there too, which is really cool. And the, so, the other, go ahead, go ahead. When you say business people, I mean, they still need to know a little bit of SQL, I guess, or R or Python mm -hmm. or can, okay. Okay. Or did they SQL. have some sort of like drag and drop kind of thing? Okay. No, that makes sense. So business yeah. people that actually can write the SQL query. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can write SQL queries for somebody and then they can use that in their notebook. Um, so that, you know, there's that. Um, the, the other cool thing that is extra that they add, which I really like is, um, the publishing features that they have is, is really neat. Cause you can publish it. Like you said, you saw those examples. All those are just published notebooks that people have found, um, and published and, and, you know, people, you can share it with people publicly, privately, you can add comments. Um, so there's that whole like publish workflow, uh, that is, not really that easy to do on uh, in Jupyter Notebook, and and they've kind of nailed that, I think, um, which is yeah. cool. It, it seems not that enterprisey that you can do that because enterprises are very protective of their database. I assume you can probably um, have a plan where you can, like your users cannot really share to the outside, but yeah, it's interesting. One of my favorite ones on the gallery is the one called Finding a New Home Planet, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, I think it's a good example of what you can do. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So, okay, you, all right. You know, another, another neat thing that they do, I appreciate it anyway, was, so, you know, you're writing your notebook and you're building stuff and then you can say, hey, I want this on the published page, you know, the page that shows up and you can move it around on the page where it shows up. So when you're publishing a paper or whatever, it's there. Um, one of the cool things that it does, though, is those blocks, it knows intelligently what dependencies it has. So if you're writing a Python block or a SQL block and it's, it's dependent on some other block behind it, then when you hit run it will go through like a dependency tree and know that it, it only needs to execute these queries to update the thing you're trying to look at. So then you're not, if you have this really complicated notebook, you're not rerunning all of your queries every time you hit run. Um, Cause you know how that goes. Like you're, you're hitting your data source, a big query and you know that Google's pulling that slot machine down every time, uh, Every time you yeah. hit query there. So they, they guard against some of that, which is really cool. Okay. That's interesting. So the sequence of events might not be just from top to bottom, but also on how you're building, how you present your data. It goes by dependencies, right? By whatever you're, you're kind of like presenting, that's where uh, it runs. That's that's interesting and different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not very familiar with Deep Note, uh, Deep Note that you mentioned, but mm -hmm. that seems like a good approach. Where um, one of the things that I had with Databricks notebooks is it has to be sequenced from top to bottom, right? You have to, otherwise, it will show you an error, right? It will detect the dependency enough to tell you, hey, you need to run this first, or I can find this data set or something, but I don't think you can just 
order it different uh, for presentation and then just let it figure out what the dependency is. Uh, so, okay, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so your main use case is analytics, right? You're trying to find... Uh, mine is, yeah, mine okay. is because you know, we use BigQuery and you know we have customers that are state agency people, biologists, scientists, professors um, that are studying fish. And so we have all this data, regulation views and stuff like that, um, and so they're always asking for data sliced a different way or whatever. And so in some cases, it's just easier for me to write some SQL queries in hex. I'm talking about write some SQL queries, do a little bit of Python, generate some charts, publish that thing, and then send it to the scientist or whoever wants to see it. And then I'm done. And hex is really good for that it's like this published paper with the analytics and data they need some explanation here you go um so i i really like it for that and I've, I've only used it a few times since i started using it maybe like three times but i love it and and the other cool thing is you can set it to regenerate itself on an interval so actually one of our reports once a month it just wakes up runs through all the queries and then it sends an email of the notebook. And so you get the actual email of the notebook in your email. And you can click on it and view it on the web page too. So that's awesome. I really like that. That's very cool. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Cron jobs, man. They keep coming back in different yeah. ways, right? It's yep. technically it's technically <laughs> cron jobs. And um I have seen it called many different things. I remember uh Kubernetes jobs and scheduled jobs and things like that but at the end of the day they're just cron jobs right and most of them will get uh programming that uh, that way very uh very simple use case that goes back all the way to the beginning of computing i guess uh all right so that's how you're using it uh of course if you were a data scientist you could run some predictions on your data i guess and then figure out what it uh, how it behaves with gpu enabled things uh, but for now, uh, I guess mostly Python and SQL is what you're using for building your dashboards. Yep. Yeah, I'm using okay. Python and SQL. And then a couple of times I drug some images and, and some other type things in there just to put in the presentation. Um, make it pretty. But yeah, make it pretty and contextual and stuff. But yeah, it's just Python and, and, and SQL. And it's cool. Like You can say, hey, these are the dependencies or these are the libraries I want to use in Python. And you just import them in and use them as you would. I've done that with plot libraries. I've done it with generating some graphs. Um, so it's it's pretty flexible from that perspective. Fair Pandas enough. too. Pandas is your friend. Like Because all of the, anytime you write a SQL query, the output of that is a data frame. And so obviously with Pandas and Python, you can manipulate it, write queries against it, and it generates another variable that you can use elsewhere. It's great. It's really easy. So to use. for the non-Python people, most of the people that know us, they know us probably from mobile development and JavaScript and some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, Pandas is a library from Python. One of the, it's not a standard library, but it's one of those packages that everybody uses. Yeah, um, and basically sure. just manage data sets and transformation and do stuff like that, which in the Python context is called data frames. So 
uh, most of the time you're going to see a variable or two called DF. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's that's really what it is, right? It's it's like one of those basic node packages that everybody uh, yeah. will use. Um, so it's interesting, like moment for dates in, in, in your JavaScript world. Pandas yeah. is just whatever you use to, uh, to move data around. And it's pretty standard, I guess. Um, pretty much any any library, any of the notebooks that we have talked about, uh, even if I don't know uh, Deep Note, I am 100% sure that they support Pandas oh, yeah. in one way or another. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, they would be dead. If, if it was like, oh, yeah, you can write Python, except Pandas, uh, peace out. Everybody would be like, nope. <laughs> yep. It's very... Very, very uh, trivial uh, to, to support that. So, okay, good. Um, that's a great overview. Um, we talk about your use case, the personas, who is it for, what it is. Now let's talk about the friction lock. We haven't done this in a while, but uh, for people that have uh, been following us for a while, they know that we have three main areas. Uh, and we always start with the good, which is called the lights. And then we'll go with the frictions, which are just things that you notice. Some might be a little bit good. Some might not be good. Um, but it's interesting feedback, right? And the last but not least uh, would be our blockers, right? Things that totally prevent you to do something or they were just so wrong that you lost your train of thought and you had to start all over again. Um, so the lights, let's start with that. Um, tell me, I don't know, two, three uh, what yeah. have you found so far? I mean, I've already mentioned a few already just in the describing hex, you know, but um, some others would be it's very easy to, to just start using and get into. Like, you don't even have to know SQL per se. If you have CSVs or data that you want to present in a good way, you could literally just drag in the CSV, use that. It'll create a data frame from that. Um, you can start creating charts off of it. And then... You're like, oh, I want to manipulate it. And then you can start. They actually have visual pivot tables where you can do that all within the notebook. And then you're like, oh, now I need more more control. And then you jump down to Python. And then it's really cool <laughs> how you, you can progressively get into this tool um, as you go. So good on them for that. Really like that part of it. And have you have you used it at all yet, Cesar? You've just seen the, the website. Yeah. No, I'm just. Uh, I saw the website intentionally. I will give it a try. I might have a CSV somewhere that I can use to play around. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one. Um, the other just delight on a friction logging on this was their activation flow is really good. And what 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 I mean by activation, like this this typical product meaning of activation which is you sign up and how do you activate that user over time you know get them to use it and so i don't remember the interval at which i got emails but every email i got from their flow either onboarding or activation flow was really good like the first email um had really compelling things where i'm like oh i really want to learn that and i click on it and read it and then the next email I got a couple of days later was something more advanced or, or cooler. I didn't know about click on that and read it. So they do a really good job of pulling you in or pulling you through that learning process of the tool. Um, so I thought that was that I mark, I definitely marked it down as a delight because that usually okay. activation emails and flows are really boring and really terrible. And that wasn't terrible. <laughs> 
I recall uh, Trello uses that, Notion uses that. Uh, they will send you an email daily or every two days that says, tip number one, here's something you can do. Tip number two. So I'm, right. I'm curious to see what, what this is because it's pretty so common there, that they try to... There's, theirs is not like that. Theirs isn't like tip number one. They mm -hmm. do things... It's, it's more like... Um, what's the word? Concept-based and then maybe story-based or something. I don't know. I just remember it being much more interesting than stuff like that. Like, hey, here's your tip of the day as you get in or something. So, Okay. Uh, what else? Um, so the, the cool thing that they offer is these layouts. So it doesn't matter what your notebook looks like you can add it to a layout, which is what gets published. And when you add it to the layout, um, it's easy to do and you can drag it, move it around and stuff. And it doesn't really affect your notebook. Um, so that plus then saying run this every week or every day and email it to me or email it to these people, that whole like publishing flow is like effortless. I really like how they did it. It's not cumbersome. It's not a bunch of options. It's very straightforward. I, I I was impressed with it. So layouts are like creating your own dashboards, right? To publish your data. And that's goes back to what you were saying about if I put something on my layout that has some dependency, then it will know what needs to run to uh, make sure that that dependency is up to date. And then I guess the scheduling and the email, right? So so all of that uh, interesting. I I will consider that a presentation layer of your work, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I, I, that's interesting. That definitely picked my eye. Um, what about collaboration in real time? Was that I know uh, for the most part uh, you might have been working solo, but did you yeah. ever try any like real time collaboration? How does that work? Okay. I didn't try it. It, it looks cool. I read about it, um, but I. I have I, I don't have a use case. You didn't you didn't want to hang out with me while I was doing SSR, so <laughs> I'm I'm out of here. Shots <laughs> fired. Uh, <laughs> we should try it out. I don't know. Uh, we need to get yeah. some data for friction lock so we can play with yeah, yeah. different tools. Um, all right. So the lights. That's that's interesting. So it's a notebook. Um, with superpowers that you really enjoy with some presentation layer. It was easy to get on board it and to understand the features. Uh, and then uh, you actually have a practical use case. So it's not just, hey, I can run SQL. It's more about, hey, I can tell a story on my end. Okay, uh, that's good. That's, uh, that's a very uh, good outcome, I would say. So now let's get to frictions, right? And frictions will be... Yep. I guess somehow um, also comparisons with uh, on why you're using Hex as opposed to DeepNode or just plain Jupyter Notebook. So uh, what are the frictions that you got there? So one thing that I ran into a lot with Hex, so I actually started using DeepNote first before I started using Hex. Hex has some extra things that I just, it attracted me more where I'm like, oh, I just use this over DeepNote. But I don't think it performs as well as DeepNote. There's multiple times where Hex, the performance, just w it wasn't as good, um, especially with large data sets. Um, 
I had a few data sets. I don't remember this how many rows. I can't remember how many rows, but in my opinion, it wasn't that big, but whatever. If it was 30,000 rows, whatever. Um, Deep Note didn't have a single problem with. Hex, I had errors a few times. Memory added. Was that performance? I mean, they're, they're big queries, right? So it could be that how they translate their SQL into building those queries, that there can be some improvements there. Uh, it could also be the experience, right? How snappy it feels, uh, right? So mm -hmm. that, that might be another uh, another factor. So that's an interesting one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's curious. Um, and kind of the other friction I wrote down actually, I, I think, um, plays into this, which is the map widget. Well, okay, so when I started using it, they didn't have a map widget that you could use, so I used. I would like import a map library in Python and then render that as an image and put that in the notebook. That's, that's how my notebook code worked. Um, and with that, I first started with Uber's um, what's their, their GL map library. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Kepler. Well, it Kepler's the, the app, whatever it's called. Kepler. If you, if you look up Uber's Kepler.gl, super cool map library it's really awesome anyway they have a, a python dependency where you can import it and render it with however you want heat maps with dots on a map you know whatever um and so it just doesn't work period doesn't work okay um and they while i figured that out like days later they came out with a map component that you can use in it and it works great it's not as good as uber's thing but it, it works great but the problem is it chokes as soon as you have a bunch of data points on it. So again, back to performance, um, I had to like you know, take out a bunch of data just so I could render the map. Um, so that's not cool. Uh, Deep note, don't have a problem with that at all. Um, so that was definitely a friction for me. And I, I emailed support. Support was actually really good. Maybe that should be a delight. Everything, every interaction I had with support was great. Okay. Uh, were you... Uh, I guess that could also be a blocker if you are very dependent on you know Uber's GL mapping. So it could be it could be something. Um, so that that's interesting because it seems like they built this great experience, but then you have um, you have that performance hit that I guess they it's technical debt, right? We all build software mm. products, so I assume that there is something going on there. So okay, that's interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, any blockers or real blockers that you're like, oh, this is this is bad. No, I mean the, maybe the biggest one was that map issue because I couldn't use. I really like that map library, and I just couldn't use it. Um, so that that's probably the as close to a blocker as possible. I think for me. Okay. Good uh, issues with the connectors. Anything? I mean, I know you only use the BigQuery, but any issues with that? Yeah, no, I, I didn't have any issues with that. Um, really easy to set up, so that was easy. Um, no problems there. Sometimes things wouldn't render on the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the the layout, you know, the published layout things. That Sometimes it wouldn't render, and it wasn't always clear why. And again, it goes back to that performance thing. Something was chugging in the background, and it would either fail and you didn't know why, or um, it just, it would take longer than expected. 
Um, okay. So sometimes that wasn't clear. That's a minor friction because it, it that didn't happen a lot. I just noted it as something that did happen. That could happen. Okay. I really like the change log webpage for yeah. It. it does. Um, yes. I don't know. It, it's like when we were talking about cron jobs, right? It's like going back to uh, you used to get software. It will have a change log dot txt file or something and then it will be the whole history of how the product evolves they made it like 2022 version of that uh, which is uh, very interesting as opposed to um, I don't know some of the release blogs things like that that you see these days so uh, interesting okay good anything else any other remarks or, or anything we're mentioning I don't think so I mean I I think if, if you're looking for something where you need to share some data and explain data around stuff, Hex is a great place to look, in my opinion. I really like it. So it's Rick's recommended. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, tool. Uh, not the best domain. We we're going to agree on that. Um, <laughs> and I'm very happy that you got some time to draw some of these notes and to explain to us. And hopefully it will help other people to try it out. So um, I have nothing left to say then. Uh, thank you, Rick. This has been good. And uh, we're going uh, to keep figuring out what's next. Awesome. All right. See you next time. Ciao. All right. Later. Platicamos. <laughs> Estamos pendientes. <laughs>